You thought voting was bad. Some high-profile protests are bringing back mob rule old school. I'm Monica Perez, and this is today's Deep Dive. I am so happy to be able to bring you a deep dive today. I'm back at my mom's. You may hear train whistles and stuff. I've got to do this with the windows open. It is hot and there is no AC. And there's no good internet connections. So I have been having a little bit of a sketchy time with buddy dives. That is a big reason I do the deep dives solo, so I don't have to connect to the internet to bring you a show. But I did make a valiant attempt to do a show with Robbie the Fire when he invited me yesterday because I've been dying to talk to him. So the internet did crap out about 20 or 25 minutes into it. I will put the link in the show notes and you can watch it on his YouTube channel. You can also just search for it on YouTube. You will find it easily. And hopefully it'll just be a part one and we'll get back together for a part two. And if you like it, leave a comment in there and hopefully he will get a good response and he'll be happy to have me back because I really Really want to finish our conversation. Also, I had a great convo with Scott, Charlie, Steve, and the OD, the original dive master, Ole Damagard. That is a Deep Dives exclusive. So you can only listen to it on Deep Dives with Monica Perez, where I put all of my content commercial free. And if you're in LA, please join me at the LA County Libertarian Party Convention this Sunday, July 24th at 12.30. I'll be there till 12, from 12.30 to 4.30, speaking, chatting, answering questions. I'd love to see you and you can find the Eventbrite link in the show notes. Now, let's hit it. We are going to do a double dive. Italian PM Prime Minister Mario Draghi confirms his resignation. And in news halfway around the world, in Sri Lanka, Ranil Wickremesinghe elected president by the members of parliament. Now, what do these two stories, and actually a lot of other stories, have in common? They are basically regime change in so-called democratic countries without using the democratic process. They're using emergency processes, they're using rules, they're using whatever. But they're not using democratic processes. Now, in the first case, the case of Italy, it's similar to the Boris Johnson resignation in the UK just a week or two ago, where representatives or members of the government forced the prime minister to resign. And in both cases, they were popular prime ministers. In Sri Lanka, the protesters got the president and the prime minister, his brother, basically to step down to actually they ran them out of the country only to find that the members of parliament elected a very unpopular, and I would actually call him a clown, <laughs> they voted him in. So the protesters didn't get what they wanted. I don't know if that guy's going to be able to keep his seat at the table. Uh, my guess is after he does our bidding and signs off with the IMF, then it doesn't matter what happens to that guy. But that's what I think is going on there. And these things seem like inside jobs to me, just the way they're happening, the way that politicians are the ones who are um, affecting this change. Sometimes things like this happen right before an election. Like in Ukraine in 2014, they wanted to do the protest because an election was coming up and they knew the guy they, I'm talking about Victoria Newland and company, 
our people there, the U.S., uh, knew that that this guy was or figured he was going to win or he might win, and they didn't want to take that chance. As Kissinger said, something to the effect of uh, it's to the who runs that country is in a different circumstance. He said, who runs that country is too important to leave up to the people of that country. <laughs> but as an anarcho-capitalist or a, uh, an evolving anarcho-capitalist, an agorist, someone who really does not believe in this monopoly coercive government, why do I care about the processes of that, of these governments? And I will tell you, it's because we're subject to the government's power. We are subject to the power. And if, if they didn't have any legitimacy at all, they probably would topple. So they allow us to have rights that seem good enough and processes that can enforce those rights. And actually, I think that we did drive a hard enough bargain at the founding of this country. Yes, we got the Articles of Confederation. I think the Constitution was illegitimate, but... Uh, thanks to George Mason and some others, we got the Bill of Rights and processes to enforce that. And I think it was a good deal. I think that it would work. And that's why they have to, big T, they have to undermine and subvert the processes now because we use them to check their power and they want unchecked power. So we've got voting for what that's worth. But more important, we have courts, we have procedures in the halls of government that were established by our foundational documents, and they are compromised, and it was worth it. So these compromises actually oftentimes, certainly in the case of this country, were set up so everybody would have rights that you couldn't have like pure mob rule. A lot of the processes are set up not only to protect individuals, but to protect minorities, like the filibuster is there to protect the minority position from always getting railroaded by whoever is the majority or a supermajority vote, that kind of thing, is just meant to protect minorities from politically expedient actions taken in the moment for one corrupt party or another. If, if that weren't what if these processes and stuff didn't have a purpose, we could just have up and down, simple majority, universal votes on everything. But that's not what we want. And mob rule is even less than that because the mobs is kind of like flash mob rule. The mobs that are coming out to, uh, to affect these regime change situations are... You're not even counting heads. It's not like more than half of the country's population came out. It's less than half. You really don't know if that is the will of the people or if that's just the most mobile people, the people who are tapped into, like in Ukraine, it was called tech camp. They actually, the U.S. went in and taught them how to get these protests going. I wouldn't be surprised if there's something like that happened in Sri Lanka. So it's I think the kind of protest that I like to see is one that demands that a dictator restore the rule of law or that, like, Nancy Pelosi doesn't railroad us with Obamacare. Like, every one that I've ever been involved in, um, from when my mother used to have me march on Washington against Roe versus Wade, that Roe versus Wade was unconstitutional. I, I mean, it just was. And regardless of what you think about the opinion that overturned it, 
It was always a subject for the 10th Amendment. It was for the states. Similarly, Obamacare. I marched like crazy against Obamacare. It was unconstitutional. Again, it's a 10th Amendment issue. But it was also undemocratic because they were really twisting arms, really subverting the process. Uh, Justice Roberts said that it was a tax, which it couldn't have been because it originated in the Senate. There was just a lot of funny business that was a result of or subverted the processes that would have stopped it. And the same thing is I wanted to start a protest in D.C. on the 4th of July, 2020, to object to what they were doing in Washington that was facilitating the lockdowns at the local level. I wanted those unconstitutional laws, those unjust laws, to be overturned. I wanted some accountability from our representatives to actually represent us. And I wanted to show the people in the countryside uh, or who couldn't get there, that there were millions of people who objected to this, that there was an uprising and that we would not tolerate it. That kind of stuff works, but it happened to be in favor of overturning unjust rules. And I feel like, especially with the Mario Draghi thing and the Boris Johnson thing, those were there uh, not to, those guys stepped down, not consistent with process and rule of law, but in order to circumvent it. And I'm very sympathetic with this, the people of Sri Lanka and what they've been going through and why they're angry. And I'm sure it was easy to galvanize them in protests, uh, especially using the right methods and probably amplifying it on social media. But the problem is that mob is not controlling anything. They they will not be served. Who will be served are the people who ginned up that mob. And I figure I know who that is, and I'll, I'll tell you that in a second. So there are a lot of examples of this kind of subversion of process. January 6th was a subversion of process. January 6th, those people were there to support the legislators inside the Capitol for the process they were going through to certify the electoral college. And whatever happened that day was chinned up by people who did not want that process to proceed. And when that process was truncated, Biden was certified. So the whole January 6th PSYOP was about stopping the process. And that's in this country. So there are a couple of reasons I would say they like to subvert the process in this country, and they've been doing it for a few years now, if not many years, probably many years. I've just really been covering it for a few years. They want to, I think, give an excuse that we need a new foundational law, a new constitution, and they get people on the left and right to support this idea. I am not in support of it because we're not going to get a better document than we have now. We need to just defend it. Uh, another reason to do this is to get people up in arms, to make it look violent and out of control as an excuse for martial law, for crackdowns, for suspension of civil rights. I think we all see the danger of that. Then if you cast a broader net and you look at Sri Lanka or even Egypt back in the day when they took out Morsi, who had been democratically elected, not saying he was a good guy, uh, I'm just saying he was democratically elected, uh, they want to justify regime change outside of the electoral process and uh, or they want to preempt an election that's coming up soon with a selection. Like I said, that happened in Ukraine in 2014. I think Italy is going to have an election at the beginning of next year. The UK, I don't know when the general election was planned. It's probably 
coming up fairly soon. But regardless, in those cases, there were popular guys who were pretty likely to win the elections. So you got to smell a rat when the mob comes out inside like a normal election cycle that that would reinforce the ex- the incumbent. <laughs> you know, you got to wonder. I mean, obviously someone wants to disrupt that continuity. But let me give you uh, some details on the the two stories I picked for today. So in Italy, Mario Draghi was the head of the European Central Bank, and he's actually, from what I can tell, now the original sources are in Italian, so I couldn't really, really dig in. I have to kind of trust the mainstream media on this one, or even my alternative sources, but it's not as widely covered. But it seems to me he was pretty popular and widely regarded as a competent technocrat. And I believe that even if he wasn't regarded as such, he's being portrayed as such for a reason. Um, And he resigned under pressure by some minority parties and actually against the wishes of the president of the country who initially actually denied the resignation. Let me read you just one quote. Uh, I think this is from the Wall Street Journal, which had the best article on it, I think. Mr. Draghi's announcement that he is resigning came a day after three large parties in his national unity coalition government didn't back the prime minister in a Senate confidence vote. Though Mr. Draghi won the vote, mass abstentions made clear that he could no longer hold his disparate coalition together. Now, why would these parties not allow their members to vote? Well, if absenting them meant that he couldn't get the majority, allowing them to vote, if you knew that they would all vote with you, you would know that he would get defeated because he wouldn't get a majority. But what they probably figured was a lot of their members would be under pressure from their constituents to vote for him. So they wouldn't allow the vote, that democratic process to happen, so that they could give him an excuse to step down. I think these are all inside jobs. I could be wrong. But I think that they're all inside jobs, including Boris Johnson. But the first mover on this one was the Five Star Movement, which seemed like a very manufactured opposition. You can call it controlled opposition is one way of putting it, but I'm going to call it manufactured opposition. And it reminds me of like populist right-wingery stuff like you see kind of with Boris Johnson or Trump. And uh, what what I feel like is happening here is there when the stuff hits the fan and it's and I guess it's going to they're saying that Draghi could navigate these rough seas ahead but what's going to happen is they're going to say oh the five star movement stood in his way the anti-globalists this is right out of the recent world economic forum stuff where the the anti-globalists are going to make the case for globalism by their own disasters. So this could be a setup for a disaster like that, where they could say, see, if the, these nut jobs didn't push out draggy, things would be okay. But now you have hyperinflation, you have runaway interest rates, you're in terrible debt, yada, yada, yada. So that's my best guess on that one. And with Sri Lanka, Mass protests forced the resignation of this long-ruling president and party and prime minister, his brother. And uh, the story, the official story in the mainstream media is that there's been a terrible situation since COVID, lockdown, policy, whatever you want to call it. And this recurring theme, which is wrong and has been debunked, that there was a debt trap out of China. China financed some infrastructure 
And when these guys couldn't pay it, China took it over. And yeah, but it's like 10% of their total debt. China isn't holding them to pay it. And and then the mass media will say, well, but they made them pay it for a while. And otherwise, they would have had enough time to restructure their IMF debt. So what it really comes down to is they have a butt ton of this kind of globalist international debt. And it seems to me, from what I can piece together, it seems to me that the U.S., just like in Ukraine, wants the IMF debt to be restructured for Sri Lanka with a bunch of strings attached, political changes, stuff like that. That's how they do it. And I think they turned the screws economically, started cutting Sri Lanka off from some stuff in order to bring them to the table, bring them to their knees, really, to get the IMF restructuring with the reforms through. And my guess, and there's some stuff on Moon of Alabama and Nomadic Everyman that I think supports this, but from what I can piece together— or what seems implied is that the president wasn't signing up with them. He was cooperating with China. He was on the precipice of getting help from Russia. So that's like a deal breaker, right? And who steps in (laughs) into the breach? But Victoria Nuland was there in March. And I think three weeks later, in the beginning of April, the protests started en masse. Now, I like to call her Vicky the Noodle. (laughs) <laughs> as a treat, because that is that is that my mob name for her? That's her mob name. I think her father's birth name was Noodleman, not Newland. So I'm calling her Vicky the Noodle because I do not respect her, even though she's quite smart and she's good at what she does, boy. You know, you want to respect her, but she is does she doesn't respect human beings. So I do not respect her. So The dominoes started falling right after she left, and the guy, this uh, Wickramasinghe, no, Wickramasinghe, Wickramasinghe, if I recall correctly, he is called the Fox. He supposedly is a totally ambitious crudball who's been around forever, who was supposed to be the opposition of of the ruling president but was always cutting back deals. Now he says they're just on the verge of signing off on this IMF thing. He was put in place by the other politicians in parliament and it's, and the protesters are, are going nuts. They hate this. They hate this guy. He's probably less popular than the guy they just ran out of town. So my guess is he may just be in place long enough to sign off on this IMF deal. And then the noodle won't care what happens to him. And who knows, maybe he'll be sacrificed like so many of our, allies. But just as a funny kind of juxtaposition of what Victoria Newland's rhetoric and the protesters, like the same thing can be said in two different ways and they have very different meanings. So there's a BBC article with the man on the ground. They're interviewing just, just some guy. And he says, these people have been ruling for the past 70 odd years. They have been stealing. How can we expect good things to happen? asked Anil, a retired truck driver, indignantly. We should beat them and throw them out. If we want change, we need new faces. And this was, in, this was how Vicky started her speech in March. Our partnership with Sri Lanka has been strong for 70-plus years, including through the difficult COVID period, where we were pleased to be a supplier of vaccines and equipment. 
So those 70 plus years seem to coincide quite well with the time that this guy was disgruntled or homicidally angry, it sounds like. She adds that what's crucial, what's absolutely crucial, though, is the courageous step by the government. I can only imagine how she said it. What's absolutely crucial, though, is the courageous step by the government to reach out to the International Monetary Fund for help now with your debt overhang, with your fiscal and monetary needs. And as you roll up your sleeves and do the hard work to strengthen and heal the economy here, the United States will be your partner and we will strengthen the capacity in our embassy to work with you at this vital moment. If you wonder where I'm getting that cadence, it's straight out of basically the exact same speech she gave to Exxon and Chevron and their cabal about what they were doing in Ukraine. I think she gave that speech like December 2013. So when I see the noodle coming and then I see protests following, uh, I'm not I'm not calling grassroots on that. <laughs> uh, it really reminds me a lot of Ukraine. And the Italy situation reminds me a lot of UK. And they're all about regime change in ostensibly democratic countries without voting. And what we need to do is just admit then, if you don't like voting, fine. I'm ready for just uh, an unwavering uh commitment to and adherence to foundational law. Forget all the representatives. Just have don't steal and don't kill. And if you're stealing and killing, you and your friends have a right (laughs) to defend yourselves. And if you want to make coalitions, do it. I mean, you could have it as simple as that. But in any case, if you want to say you need democratically elected representatives, then you have to stick to that because that's the reason that we justify a lot of these wars and interventions. But it's a complete lie. Uh, I liked Black Robe Regiment tweeted at me in answer to a tweet. I asked, like, what's this all about? He said, if the power players can stir up the NPCs, the non-player characters, to demand change apart from following their prescribed methods, they can call it a populist movement, a rebellion against the bourgeoisie. It lends credibility to regime change because the proletariat demanded it. It's just out of their hands. And I think that's what Vicky was saying about Ukraine, and we know it's not true. And and what's a little twisted about it, which is not so obvious up front, is that that's the kind of argument that's used against monarchs to justify democratic reforms. It's against tyrants to justify um, rights for the people. It's, you know, Robin Hood was stealing from the sheriff for overtaxing <laughs> the people. There's some some rebellion that has its roots in actual injustice and individual rights. This is powers that be coming in from the outside, ginning up hysteria to swap out people at the top so they will sign off on unjust IMF deals. Uh, And then, oh, an update on the UK, I wanted to say. So it just as a reminder from, I did a whole show on this, So Boris Johnson had recently passed a vote of confidence from his own party. And then his last election, he won, I believe, in the biggest landslide since Margaret Thatcher. And then all of a sudden, a couple of upstarts from his own party, from his own cabinet, start a wave of resignations of the cabinet from his own party. Right? I mean, is it a coalition government? He has the majority, has to be the majority of his party. 
And then all these bought and paid for lackeys followed suit and he capitulated pretty quickly. So I called BS on that immediately, as you know, because I did a deep dive on it. Now I just read that party members are up in arms because self-interested insiders, they say, pushed out a popular uh, elected prime minister. And now, now they're being sticklers for the process because once he resigned, he was disqualified from appearing on the ballot. Can you believe that? So now they're all about the process, this party. And guess who's still in the game? So what they're doing is the MPs, the members of parliament, narrow down the vote until there are only two people, and then they put it out to the party generally. They did five rounds of voting. They got it down to two people, and they're going to open this up to 150,000 Tory voters. And then whoever wins the leadership of the party becomes the prime minister until the next general election, if I understand how it works correctly. And 4,000 of those 150,000 have already signed this up-in-arms outrage over this whole situation. Those are just the people who signed the signed the petition, and, and um, just hundreds of thousands of pounds are being withdrawn from support because they don't want this. People are really mad. So who are who's on the final ballot? Well, I predicted one of the people who would be on the final ballot and that was the guy who started all of this, uh, Rishi Sunak, I think his name is. Yeah, Rishi Sunak. He is the guy who started all this. And I actually think Bojo stepped aside for him. He's the one whose father-in-law owns Infosys, a big, uh, a big international like coding company or software company. And, but that guy's mother, so his father-in-law's mother is on the board of the Gates Foundation. And she's pretty powerful or connected in her own right. So I assume that he's going to take this away. But the petitioners are looking for an investigation and they want to understand how this happened. Now, they don't, they don't say that Bojo was in on it. I think he was because he did not have to resign he could have called on these people he could have he could have garnered a protest of 150,000 people overnight in my opinion so he didn't and uh, i think that's cuz he needed an excuse to let it roll like this he was probably trying to be unpopular and continue to be popular they couldn't pull a a a trump type switcheroo with him because he was just just too popular so I'm always a little suspicious when protests get huge coverage. I always figure there, it, there's going to be a bait and switch. There's going to be some agenda served there. And because the new method of political action seems to be protest and pressure. There's also like psyops and false flags and um, legislation by terror. <laughs> you know, there's that. And then it's kind of similar to what's happening in the media where like accidental revelations or leaked documents are the only way that these these outlets can get any credibility on the facts. I just see the whole thing kind of devolving into uh, kind of informational <laughs> populism and political populism of the worst kind. 
Uh, because I'm not actually opposed to protests. I'm not opposed to popular movements. I, I'm just, I'm actually infuriated that our First Amendment right to assembly was suspended for so long, long enough for them to redirect us all into the digiverse, which is completely controlled. It doesn't allow us to communicate with each other. It doesn't have a show of hands. It's outrageous. And if they do want a show of hands, they're the ones who control that digiverse. They can push you down. I mean, it's a struggle to make it out of this uh, you know, black hole of alternative media. It's not really a black hole, but it's got a lot of gravitational pull if you don't have somebody, you know, it's hard to go viral when you're being um, shadow banned. So, you know, I did want to start some protests in D.C. around the lockdown just to get people to feel like they they weren't alone and to make the representatives actually address how illegitimate their policies were. But even then, like, if you want, even if you're willing to settle for kind of majority rule, this mob rule or a few disgruntled politicians causing a popular politician to resign, I mean, that's just... I don't know. I mean, I don't even think it rises to the level of demagoguery. I had to actually look that up. Demagoguery is a political leader who seeks support by appealing to the desires and prejudices of ordinary people rather than by using rational argument. So it doesn't even rise to that, but it does It does appeal to the whole crowds and power thing. It does appeal to that show of hands, that effect that people will believe it if they see it. And that actually goes to a comment I got. I got lots of great comments on this one. Um, Byron says, uh, what's it all about? Creating the illusion of consensus. Many, if not most people, are lazy-minded and are willing to go along with what is presented to them as virtuous. Lazy-mindedness teamed up with an expectation of expediency omnipresent in today's world, creates a loathe for process. Mix all those together, add a manufactured emergency and a bit of incitement by real or de facto agents, and you can pretty much shape public perception. Not perfectly so, thankfully, but you can generally get a lot accomplished quite efficiently. So I agree with that. I'm going to read some tweets. Goodfellas says this is all power and money laundering. Uh, by Congress, both through military-industrial complex and through their domestic terrorist levers that they put in place. Uh, I'm I think he, he might be talking about January 6th. E-Dub says, what's behind it? The FBI, the CIA. Uh, <laughs> Green Nude Eel points out problem, reaction, solution. To introduce AI-based government is my favorite theory right now. Yes, there is that thing about AI government. Um, I forget what it's called, but I, I mentioned it on the air before. There's like a, a word for it. It's like information technology government. Like the bureaucrats are basically AI or a skeleton crew works through AI for government. It's messed up. I'll have to track down the name of that. Uh Dustpan Razorburn says, you've been saying this for quite some time. The perfect storm has made landfall. I actually saw a tweet, somebody tweeted at me a headline about Mario Draghi's resignation. 
causing a perfect storm. But since the actual article is in Italian, I can't really tell you what that is. But I think I might have I think I might have cracked the code on that one earlier in this show. All right, Terry and UK JJ, our UK contingent, have a lot of thoughts on what might be going on. I'm going to share them all with you. For what it's worth, Terry says, I've been predicting that the chief World Economic Forum criminal front men and women would be getting ditched in the next few months. Boris Johnson, Biden, Trudeau, Macron, Draghi, and some other EU leaders. Awful Jacinda and Desperate Dan from Down Under, Fauci and the NIH and CDC leaders, Fauci and the top lockdown governors, Newsom, Whitmer, Beetlejuice to join Cuomo. I think, quote, they may use this to try to distance themselves from the unpopular COVID rules. That's a good point. Like, that's that powerful archetype of the scapegoat. He goes on to say, Ukraine at all was a bit of a Hail Mary pass, I think, to try to keep things going for the lockdown left. Ironic that the left is now the most reliable war supporters. Plus, cover for the economic collapse, inflation, etc., i.e., it's Putin's fault. I'm not sure most sensible people are going for any of that. His opinion on January 6th, it was an attempt to demonize and disenfranchise the Trumpist right once and for all by associating them with domestic terrorism. Not sure that worked either. However, Sri Lanka looked like a genuine revolution to me, with the farmers and people fed up with all the austerity brought about by being the World Economic Forum's favorite ESG nation. Where did the Sri Lankan leader end up on his boat, I wonder? I guess he took a boat out of town. Yeah, that's. I, I believe all that. I, I believe they were a target, and I believe that the protests were genuine. But I also think that they will be co-opted for the purposes of those very same people. UK JJ says, I can see multiple agendas or multiple facets of an overall agenda at work with each of these examples. Ukraine is either decades or a century in progress, depending on where you plant your flag. January 6th is both cover for election fraud and the natural progression of the attack on the Ron Paul remnant. Absolutely. Boris, Macron, and others might act as scapegoats to carry away the COVID sins, even though their replacements were just as guilty. This gives a false sense of security from which worse tyranny can arise. I agree. Perhaps this is their, trademark, way of keeping us off balance while the Great Reset is completed and they can just stop pretending. Tom Wood's recent podcast on Lenin's Russian Revolution showed how eerily close we're following to that exact script. One such point is where they sent raw recruits into war unarmed, but with instructions to pick up their dead comrades' weapons. That's so close to what the Ukrainians are doing today. Two weeks training, a gun, and one magazine of rounds. Boy, that's crazy if that's what they're doing, because we sent over $40 billion, and we send so much of it into the form of arms that I've read more than once are arms they cannot use. It's actually kind of giving them something they can sell, so they can take the money. It looks like corruption at the absolute highest levels. And they're sending their soldiers in as literally cannon fodder. Outrageous. Well, in this case, my takeaway is, and this is something I've said many times before, and I'll say it many times again, libertarians die by the sword, but they don't always live by it. And by that I mean... Just because the Constitution was a poor and likely illegitimate substitute for the Articles of Confederation, we're still living under it. So even if you don't consent to the bargain, if you are de facto bound by it, demand your protections. They are your rights. 
but they come with a process. So it's not just about who can scream the loudest because they control the bullhorns. Process, in my opinion, is the only way. Voter integrity would be great, but even better, the judicial process, which is essential and must be exercised to be preserved. That is absolutely true. You should know your rights and fight for them and the processes we fought for to protect them. Now, if you want to hear gems like that and more in person and chit-chat with me and exchange ideas with me, and you are in the LA area, I will be the keynote speaker at the LA County Libertarian Party Convention in Burbank. It's definitely going to be a tight group. We will have lots of time to have some one-on-one conversation. Eventbrite has the tickets, and the link is in the show notes here, uh, or at least on thepropreport.com. I think they'll be wherever wherever you're listening to this. The the event starts at 1230 this Sunday, the 24th of July. So I hope to see you there. I am Monica Perez. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it on social media or with someone you think would also enjoy it. And feel free to tweet at me at Monica Perez Show.